Hey, uh, for those in person, if you want to grab a seat, we're going to get right started. Uh, welcome, everybody. Good morning, Hillside. I'm so glad you're with us. Great to see you all on this hot summer Sunday. And uh, for those who are watching online, hello. Shout out to Hazel, who uh, is visiting family in Ireland. God bless you, Hazel, praying for you and for your sister and family. And uh, great to see you all. Uh, just look at your neighbor and say, you look good today. Yeah. Yeah. Pete's sitting by himself. No one said anything to Pete. Pete, you look good. Um, we're in this series called Praying with Saints and Sinners, and I'm, I'm loving what we're learning through various people through Scripture and through history. Uh, thank you, David Wood, for uh, leading us, uh, lear- help, helping us learn from the Puritans, right? And today we're going to be looking at a bunch of biblical examples with regards to one particular kind of prayer. If you were to ask me what is one of the single most biggest motivators of prayer in my life, I could answer with two words. Answered prayer. <laughs> when, when, God, when I pray and God answers, when there's a need and, and God responds uh, to my prayer, he gives clear direction, or there's somebody that, that we've prayed for for 20 years that's been far from God and they come home, or or I'm feeling anxious about something, and I pray, and I get this sense of peace from God, it just makes me want to pray more. Uh, the biggest motivator to pray in my life is answered prayer. But if you were to ask me, what is the biggest demotivator of prayer in my life? Uh, two words. Anyone guess what the answer would be? Unanswered prayer, right? You know, uh, unanswered prayer. Somebody would love to be married, and they pray for years to meet the right person, but they never do. Or, or someone wrestles with depression, and they ask for God to lift it, and it doesn't seem to lift. Or, or someone gets seriously wronged or cheated in their workplace, and they, they ask God for justice to prevail, and it seems like justice doesn't prevail. I'd suggest every one of us has been there. Everyone has experienced this, experiencing a deep prayer that goes unanswered. And, and that kind of prayer, unanswered prayer, can not only cripple your faith, it can actually cripple your, 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 your prayer life. So today, we're going to talk about the ache and sometimes the agony of unanswered prayer. And I, I'd suggest this could be a series of sermons just in itself, but just this morning for a few moments, we're going to wrestle with and explore this question around God, why might he or might he not answer our prayers? First of all, let's pray. God, uh, thank you that as we gather this morning, you love speaking to your people, and we pray you'd do that today. And would you help us to hear you in this area, that we, we, we might grow deeper prayer lives, lives that uh, with greater understanding. And so we ask, would you um, give us wisdom and open our ears to, to hear your heart and, and to receive your wisdom. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Now, the fact is, sometimes the answer to a prayer is no, right? None of us like no's, but actually, the Bible has a lot to say on the subject. It's, it's full of stories of people 
for whom the answer has been no. In fact, there might be more unanswered prayer in, in Scripture than there is actually answered prayer. King David, he spent a week lying prostrate before the Lord. He was foregoing all food, asking that God would let his infant son not die. That prayer went unanswered, and, and they lost the child. Several times, the armies of Israel prayed that they would not be defeated, that they'd have victory over their enemies, only to be terribly defeated. The prophet Habakkuk uh, prayed for the deliverance from the Babylonians, and, and Jeremiah prayed that Jerusalem wouldn't be destroyed. And both those prophets' prayers went unanswered, and they struggled to find reasons to give to the Israelites for their defeat. In light of that, in Lamentations, you have this kind of poignant complaint to God. You have covered yourself with a cloud, O God, so that no prayer can get through. And then there's the rejected prayers of, of some of Jesus' disciples. I mean, you think of everything that pretty much came out of Peter's mouth was almost a rejected prayer. Um, and then you have James and John, who on one occasion boldly asked Jesus you know, when his future heavenly kingdom comes, that they could have the right and the left, the best seats in the house, basically. And Jesus gives them a polite no. Uh, another time, they, they wanted to call down fire from heaven on a village who was resistant to the good news of God's love that, that they were sharing, and Jesus gave them a more solid no on that occasion. Thank God. <laughs> in another instance, the disciples proved unable to perform a miracle of healing, and they seem puzzled by God's lack of response there, their, the failure of their prayers. The Apostle Paul, you know, one of the heroes of our faith, he had his share of unanswered prayers. You read his prayers for the churches, and he just, then you read of the record of some of those churches to realize how far they fell short of the ideal for which he prayed. In, in his most famous unanswered prayer, Paul pleaded with the Lord three times that the, this thorn of the flesh, whatever it might be, whether it was a, a disease or a temptation, some issue, he prayed that it be removed three times, and it didn't happen. We, we can actually learn a lot from Paul about how he handled the disappointment of an answered prayer. He went on to say, he says, Therefore I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. And folks, not even Jesus was exempt from unanswered prayer. You think of his time in the Garden of Gethsemane, the night before he was to go to the cross, and, and Jesus pleaded with his heavenly Father, please let this cup of suffering pass from me. May I not have to go through what I know I'm going to have to go through. And the, the pain of that unanswered prayer came through most acutely from his cries on the cross where he said, my God, why have you forsaken me? All throughout the Bible you have these unanswered prayers or at the very least the answer seems to be no. You see, here's the deal. It's fundamental to the kind of person that God is and to the very nature of prayer. God always reserves the right to say no. Otherwise, when you think about it, it'd be a disaster, actually. 
I mean, think, think about this for a moment. Every kind of power that human beings kind of get privy to, um, financial power, po political power, uh, nuclear power. On, on one hand, it can be used to power nations. On the other hand, it can destroy the world, right? It, every time human beings get hold of some kind of power, it, it kind of almost heads towards disaster. Can you imagine if we had unhindered access to supernatural pr power, that, that whatever we prayed, uh, whatever whim was on our mind would be answered? Can you imagine the kind of trouble the world would be in in that case? be a mess. This is why it's wrong, and, and, and I, I, think, I think it's always wrong, but I think a lot of us do this or, or get caught in this at some point in our lives, is to, to be on the lookout for some kind of magic formula that makes prayer work, right? You know, sometimes people think it's a certain phrase, if I, if I, if I just pray in Jesus' name, that's the magic. Or if I add the phrase, if it be your will, that's the magic. Or if I pray with enough boldness, or if I kind of drum up within myself enough certainty, or if I just say I claim this instead of requesting it, but prayer is not a magic formula. Funny, there, uh, there used to be a uh, Charlie B Brown cartoon from years ago where Linus says this. He says, I've made an interesting theological discovery. If you pray with your hands folded down instead of up, you'll get the opposite of what you prayed for. <laughs> but prayer is not an incantation. It's a, it's a relationship with a person. Actually, a very, very wise person. So sometimes our request will be off. Our request will be wrong, and God will say no, and thank God that he does. Right? Another thought really connected to that is that unanswered prayer can, can very often be a gift to us. It can be a gift. Um, four characters in the Old Testament. you got Moses and Job and Jonah and Elijah all prayed pretty bold prayers that they would die. God, end my life. I mean, I've prayed that on the night before final exams before, so I, I feel like I relate to those guys. But in every case, God says, no, 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 no. Don't you think that when their dark mood passed, that they were so glad that God said no? Some of you remember the, the classic Jim Carrey movie, Bruce Almighty. Um, Bruce is a frustrated man of faith who is angry at God. God doesn't seem to do what he thinks God should do. And so God, you know, decides to give Mor uh, Jim Carrey, the, the Bruce, the, the chance. And God played by Morgan Freeman, of course. And in one use of his power, Bruce actually lassoes the moon and draws it closer to earth to increase the romantic mood with him and his girlfriend, <laughs> only creating a tsunami in Japan at the same time. He hears thousands of, of requests in his head at once, and he's overwhelmed by this, and so he answers yes to everyone who prays to win the lottery, creating millions of winners, but basically diluting the, the grand prize to almost nothing. <laughs> Bruce eventually learns to appreciate the complexity of, of God and the complexity of prayer, and he learns this humility. 
By the way, I think this helps us to understand why miraculous intervention might be so rare in our world. And it really stems from how God made the world, governed by, by rules, govern, governed in a way. And I, I want to tell you that the whole question of miracles deserves more time than we can actually give it this morning. But, but let me uh, summarize with just a comment C.S. Lewis made. He says it this way, that God can and does on occasion modify the behavior of matter and produce what we call miracles is part of Christian faith. But the very conception of a common and therefore stable world demands that those occasions should be extremely rare. If you want to read more on him on that topic, you can read his book, Miracles. And, and what he's saying is if God did miracles continually, all the time, interfering with the governing principles of life on earth in answer to every single one of our prayers, far from creating a greater happiness, the effects would in fact be devastating. One man's miracle could mean misery for millions of others. You know, we know uh, Jesus famously stilled a storm, but Jesus doesn't still all storms, and for good reason. What if God stilled every storm as a result of our prayers? Devastating effects on our planet because storms are a crucial part of the Earth's ecosystem. Uh, in, in very current, relevant terms, they, they're kind of the Earth's air conditioning system. Aren't we glad that the earth has an air conditioning system? Personally, uh, on a personal matter, most of us learn that, that many of our prayers are better left unanswered. As a child, Amy Carmar Carmichael used to pray that God would change her eyes from brown to blue. Later, as a, a missionary in India, she was grateful for brown eyes, which made her less foreign and intimidating to the Indian children she was trying to love on and reach. Isn't that amazing? Uh, country singer, uh, Garth Brooks, and by the way, if you want to explore any topic known to humankind, there's always a country song that's been written about it, so just so you know. Um, it's the only thing that commends country music, just saying. Um, terrible, I know. Uh, but they had a hit, he had a hit song back in the day in which he tells of his passionate prayers for God to melt the heart of this girl that he had a crush on, but later it became very clear to him that she would have been a terrible choice for him. And so he thanks God for that, for not answering his prayers. He actually wrote this. He says, just because God doesn't answer doesn't mean he doesn't care. Some of God's greatest gifts are unanswered prayers. Thank God, God doesn't answer all of our prayers. But sometimes the answer isn't no. It's actually just a, a timing deal. Sometimes the that the timing is wrong, and God may say something along the lines of slow. This is not no, it's just not yet. Again, a whole other category in the Bible. It's full of this where God's response to people is not yet. Abraham had to wait. He's kind of the classic example of this. He had to wait till he was 99 years old before God answered his prayer to have a son. Israel had to wait 40 years in the wilderness praying for the promised land, and it was basically 40 years of not yet. Joseph had to wait two years after he'd interpreted the cupbearer's dream before he was released from prison. 
David had to wait a whole lifetime praying for the temple to be built, and only it wasn't even built in his lifetime. It was built by his son. Israel had to wait century after century after century praying for the Messiah to come. Sometimes the request might be right, but the timing might be wrong. So you, get, you see this great statement from the prophet Isaiah. Let's read these words together. Just put them on the screen there, Kathy. Let's read these out loud together. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. Don't read my comments afterwards That there. Let's read that again. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew my strength. Right? Nobody likes that word wait, do they? No one. Parents, uh, one of the main uh, character qualities that you want to pass on to your children is patience, right? We want to do that. The ability to tolerate, you know, delayed gratification with grace and with honor. But here's the thing. Do you build patience in a child by making sure they get every whim and desire immediately gratified? No. Parents learn that that's not a good idea. That's not a good parenting strategy. And God knows all about this. Um, Peter put it like this. He says, but do not forget this, dear friends. With the Lord, one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promises, as some understand slowness. He is patient. He doesn't want anyone to perish. He wants everyone to repent. Not only does God actually, is he patient, but he's patient for a reason sometimes. And this gives us a clue here. He's, he's desiring that the whole world would return to him. So sometimes it's a, a timing deal, and there's a, a reason that God delays. And there's going to be this, honestly, frustrating period of waiting. You know what? Sometimes, though, I think it's really important for us to know that um, a, a lot of times what God is doing in you while you are waiting is maybe more important than what you are waiting for. God's doing something in you while you wait. We're, such, we're in such a hurry in our lives, right? God is not. Now, another reason Scripture gives for unanswered prayer, and it, it's not that the request is wrong, but that somehow there's something wrong in the life, there's something going on in the life of the prayer that's wrong. It's not like God is saying no or slow. It's like he's saying grow. Um, God says to the people of Israel and Isaiah that their lack of concern for the poor and for the widows and the orphans, that because of that, it's affecting how their prayers are received. Uh, the book of Proverbs puts this really clearly. It says, if a person shuts their ears to the cry of the poor, they too will cry out and not be answered. It doesn't work if we're coming to God with clenched fists. So maybe God is saying to us, grow. Grow in generosity. Or Adam and Eve, right in the very beginning of the, the story, the faith story of God's people, they experienced a blockage in their contact with God because of their disobedience. A blockage so severe that they went into hiding and God had to go looking for them. Psalm 51 records David's prayer for reconnection with God after his sins. 
And sometimes we find that sin actually disrupts our communication with God. It kind of becomes a bit of a block. Um, in one of the Psalms, the author admits, he says, if I had cherished sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. Actually, friends, I think that relational brokenness is one of the primary blockers to prayer, to God hearing. Um, Jesus is talking about prayer one time in, in very inspiring ways, but one of the caveats he adds is this. He says, when you stand praying, and if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them so that your heavenly Father may forgive your sins. Because if I'm clinging to unforgiveness, it's going to lead to all kinds of, of wrong praying. And this, this comes back to the heart of what prayer is. We sometimes, I, I think, have the idea that prayer is mostly about asking. It's actually mostly about keeping company with God. Prayer is a relationship with a person. Every, every aspect of life, including how we treat those around us, affects relationship, right? Uh, for example, I can't say to my neighbor, I, I, I love you and I enjoy spending time with you, but I hate your stupid dog. And uh, would you keep those bratty kids out of my backyard, will you, right? How I treat, you know, what belongs to my neighbor affects how my neighbor receives my love. And the same applies to God. How I treat God's creation, how I treat God's children will we'll determine how, in, in part, how God receives my prayer and my worship. The Apostle uh, John summed up the relationship between prayer and behavior when he said, we receive anything we ask because we obey his commands and do what pleases him. And so unanswered prayer can actually be a catalyst to grow. In fact, a lot of the unanswered prayers that we mentioned earlier were responded to, like, like for instance, when Israel was defeated by an enemy, they'd often go into this season of repentance and, and examination. God, what am I doing wrong? What's going on in my life? And they would actually change their ways and, and cor correct their path. But to get right with someone and, and get right with God is, is something that can be a, an aid to, to unblocking prayer. We say this, don't we, when, when we're making right with someone? Uh, we, we clear the air. And, and if you've got something that, that is blocking your prayer life or your relationships, that's something, actually, and let me just be really frank about this, you can do something about it. You actually have power to do something about this. I, I'd say all of you, you can actually take a step or make a phone call. You can ask for forgiveness. You humble yourself and ask for forgiveness humble yourself and apologize. You can reach out and, and uh, maybe it's you that needs to offer forgiveness. But God's given us that kind of power to make things right in our relationships. Uh, maybe for us, it's something that we know that we've done wrong and, and it, the sin is really directly against God. And, and there's a solution for that. You can do something about that, folks. Confess your sin. And, and what happens? God shames you? No, actually, he forgives you. It's a lock. We just need to get honest with God about that part of our life that's, that's, that's flawed or broken and, and just get humble before God, and, and God just receives us. He just accepts us, and he forgives so freely, right? That's the gospel. 
It's not that we go deserving to him, asking for forgiveness. It's that we go undeserving, and, and he just, that's clearing the air with God. It's clearing the, the air relationally. And I think for some of us today, it, your practical step today is, is to get quiet with God or to write a letter or call a friend or call an enemy and make things right. And that, that can set you on a, on a path to a, a clearer prayer life, not to mention a clearer life. But friends, I want to say this. Sometimes people ask for really good things from really great hearts, and that prayer still doesn't get answered. And I don't know why. Phil Piancy uh, wrote a great book on prayer, and he he tells about getting a letter from someone with an eight-year-old girl who is diagnosed with a very life-threatening and debilitating disease. And the father wrote this. He says, every day I pray for her healing. Every day I, I, I pray to understand. Every day I ask God, God, would you make me sick instead of my little girl? Let me suffer. And he said, I'm, I'm so mad at God. I, I, I'm trying to hang on, but I'm so mad. Why is heaven silent on the one prayer I most want answered. And every person in this room has been there. Some of you are there right now. I know it. And I, and I can't point you to an explanation that has all the answers because nobody does. I, I, I can only point you to a person. I can tell you that at the heart of the gospel is actually an unanswered prayer. Again, Jesus in the garden, please, Father, if it's possible, make this cup, may this suffering, this death be taken from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. Folks, this is the most desperate prayer ever prayed from the most discerning and wisest heart, from the, most, from the purest heart ever, praying for deliverance from the most unjust suffering ever known. And all that prayer got was silence. The cup wasn't taken away. But from that undeserved suffering came the hope of the world that remade history. Because the ultimate answer to human anguish, including the anguish of unanswered prayer, is a sin-stained, blood-soaked cross where God himself suffered. Nobody has all the answers, but I as I was thinking this week, what if his prayer had been answered? What if God had said yes and, and taken that cup away? What if Jesus had been spared the cross? There, there was no cross, no death, no tomb, no resurrection, no forgiveness of sins, no outpouring of the Holy Spirit, no birth of the church. You know, what if, what if Paul's prayers that the thorn in his side was taken away had been answered? What if Paul had, had gone on to, to be a more impressive church planter, a, a greater leader, and, and, and perhaps in the process lost his soul, became a, a thing about Paul, and he became to, began to boast about himself? I think of what if God had, has answered some of those prayers we prayed, and, and it would have turned us into something that we would never want to become. I don't know why some prayers get yeses and some prayers get noes. I, I know the anguish 
of a no when you want a yes more than anything in the world. I don't know why. I only know that in, in the cross, God's no to his only son was turned into God's yes to every human being that ever lived. And there's so much to learn from, from Jesus' prayer in the garden. I mean, not my will, he prays, but yours be done. Somehow Jesus trusted in the Father enough, even when he was getting a no, he trusted that his Father cared. He trust, trusted that his Father knew best, that his Father had a plan. I, I see that kind of faith in the Old Testament story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Do you remember those guys? They're my favorite three trio in the Bible, aside from the Trinity. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They're commanded by King Nebuchadnezzar to worship a grotesque golden idol on pain of death. They're to bow down and worship this idol, and they respond with incredible courage. This is what they say. King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to save us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he doesn't, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. I'd say the entire paradox of faith is evidence in that little speech. On one hand, the three men assert that, that the God we serve is able to save. He's able to do miracles. He's able to deliver. And that he's willing to save, declaring quite categorically, he will deliver us from your hand. This is a, a declaration of absolute certainty. But on the other hand, having made these unequivocal statements of faith, he... <laughs> They add, but even if he does not, we will not serve your gods. It's amazing. It's, it, you got this great certainty on one hand and, and this allowing for God's sovereignty on the other. Even if God doesn't, I, I'm trusting in God. They have faith for a miracle, but, but then we see they also have faith of a deeper kind that refuses to be shaken by unanswered prayer. And I'd say that's even more inspiring. As we learn how to pray, I, and I, my prayer this summer as we continue on in this series, may God give us grace to trust the Father like Jesus trusts the Father. May he give us boldness, but may he also give us the deeper kind of faith we see in the life of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego.